We got our money's worth, gentlemen, this weekend. We build this as a fantastic week in college football. And oh boy, was it. We just finished up Ohio State knocking off Notre Dame 17-14. And we're here to react to it all right here on the 3 Tech Live show. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome in, everybody. It is the week four recap, the live show here on YouTube. If you're listening to us on the podcast feed the next day, welcome in as well. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney. Uh, fellas, what an incredible into this evening. We've still got some some Pac-12 games going on, uh, but boy, truly the, the cream rose to the top tonight. Ohio State hangs on over Notre Dame. We had Florida State. Clemson early in the day, Ole Miss and Alabama going at it. Heck, even LSU and Arkansas gave us drama late, and uh, I am so ready to talk about this slate of games. College football continues to deliver, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I'm wired from this late slate. I, I texted to you guys. I wish there was an opportunity for, like, Octobox. Garrett had an Octobox set up at one point. I was super jealous of that. Because I just kept having to flip back and forth between so many different games. The evening slate especially just really delivered tonight. What a week of college football. It lived up to the hype. So many great matchups. And yeah, every single one of them gave us something to talk about. It really did. Uh, And and we're going to get into it, of course. Have to give our shout outs to the Transfer Portal CFB. Uh, Proud uh, members of of our team. We've loved being a part of their team as well. Um, some of the best reactions, the, the information that uh, that you get to consume on game day, uh, they've got the expert opinions. We're obviously privileged to be a part of that. You can read the headlines and review article that we write every single Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, depending on when that article gets finished up. Of course, also shout out to Homefield Apparel and all of the tremendous things they got rolling out through their shop. Uh, Trey, this may be a little bit of a sore spot. We we shouted out there. Uh, game day matchup of the week, Iowa Penn State. We'll get mm-hmm. to that. Um, I don't know. Maybe some more. Did Iowa, Iowa play this week? I thought they were on bye. They they were they a lot play of their football. guys. There were a lot of their guys on bye due to injury. Um, I think but Iowa I was on bye this week. I think Penn State showed up and no one was there. <laughs> they were playing. They were playing somebody else. That's that's for sure. The B team. Maybe more Iowa fans need to to order shirts. Uh, get the mojo <laughs> back because. 31 to nothing shellacking in state colleges is not going to do it. But regardless of who you support, what logos you want to wear, head on over to homefieldapparel.com. You can find the best in the business over there. And of course, use our code 3TechPod to get 15% off your first order. Guys, I don't want to wait any longer. I want to get right into this. Number six, Ohio State. It felt like they were going to waste another golden opportunity to make a statement, to win a game, that could help get Ryan Day to some sort of 
elite status, right? I mean, you you look at what he's been able to do the first couple of years of the career, but most importantly, what he hasn't been able to do in the last two years, and that's really win a statement game, right? Michigan has kind of owned Ohio State. They've beaten them the last two years. They've made it to the college football playoff. Uh, Ohio State made it in last year but loses to Georgia. And the, the constant story around Ryan Day is can he win the big game? What has he shown other than beating up on Rutgers and Michigan State and Maryland week in and week out that proves he's actually a good head coach? And, guys, I'm not necessarily super pro Ryan Day. I don't really have an opinion on him, to be quite honest. But tonight it felt like he got one that he absolutely had to have. So often Ohio State beats teams over the head with their offense. Tonight, it was Jim Knowles and the defense that stood up and ultimately was was able to knock off a red-hot Notre Dame team coming in. Uh, Trey, the offense really took the back seat here to the main story that was the defense. Uh, it was a classic throwback defensive performance. Yeah, it was, just like it was last year when these two teams matched up um, in Columbus and you know, that Jim Knowles defense, we highlighted it preseason that we thought it was going to take a big step forward this year. The year two in that system has always historically been a big jump forward year, but I don't think any of us expected this level of play from the Ohio State defense. Traditionally, like you said, it's all offense. Defense is just a bonus with Ohio State, but this is an elite unit. They are for real. They shut down an elite Notre Dame offense tonight, and I know – People that haven't been paying attention this year might be chuckling at me saying elite Notre Dame offense, but this is an elite Notre Dame offense. They're going to put a lot of points up on the board. <laughs> and, and and right as soon as he gets into cooking, there goes Trey. Uh, Trey's having some <laughs> internet issues, so we, we might have lost him there. We'll work to get him back into the stream. Yeah, he'll get back uh, in. Garrett, I think where he was going with this was, you know, Notre Dame has made their their statement by scoring a lot of points. And we we openly questioned Jim Knowles' year two, an aggressive defense. Would he be able to stop Notre Dame? And if you'll pull up that stats page again, they absolutely did. On the road, a hostile environment. This did not look like uh, a recipe for success. And total yards, sure, Notre Dame got theirs. But holding them when they absolutely had to holding Sam Hartman to just 130 or 83 yards through the air. That was a massive difference for Ohio State here tonight. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I took away looking at this was these are clearly two of the best defenses in the country. Whatever you want to say about how these teams stack up to other teams across the nation or, or you know, how, you know, prolific the offenses are and have they played anybody and, you know, whatever. Tonight we saw that when they got up next to each other, those are two of the best defenses in the country. Nothing came easy for either offense, right? Sam, Sam Hartman was having to work to move the football. And same for Kyle McCord. And you got to give McCord a heck of a lot of credit tonight. He played a heck of a game, I think really stood up to the test, um, play, played a not necessarily like a flashy Ohio State quarterback game that we're used to seeing, but let me pull up the stats real quick. Yeah, McCord, 21 for 37, 240 yards, and those were not easy 240 yards. They, they were – you know, great coverage, really had to press, had to slide in the pocket a lot to make stuff happen. And for what it's worth, on the road in a hostile environment, that place was rocking. The Irish fans really showed up for this one. He he stood tall. He stood tall and did what he needed to do to give the, the offense a chance to win and give them a chance to, to go out there and compete with Notre Dame. So, 
you know, even though it wasn't the flashiest game that you may have ever imagined, even though, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say that this is the way that traditionally Ohio State likes to win. Um, look, they, they did what they had to do. And uh, I'll pull this one real quick uh, from the chat. I think is good. Teddy says, I'll tell you what, Ryan Day may have been bored on third base, but that final play call took a lot of guts to call. He's 100% right about that one. Uh, yeah. I think that that is, is as accurate as possible. You have a couple of seconds left on the clock. I think everyone knows that you're going to run this thing. It seems like the obvious call and you still put in the call. You still decide to go, you know, off tackle and, and just run behind the big boy. And what happens? You get it done. You barely get it done. <laughs> it took a replay and a lot of us staring and going, uh, uh, uh. no, but then, yeah, he pushed it across. He got it done. So look, tip of the cap to him. Fantastic game all the way across for Ohio state. Um, that's not to take anything away from what Notre Dame did. Notre Dame played a heck of a game too, but at the end of the day, someone else had to come out on top. And and in this case, it was Ohio State making that one last play at the end of the game. Uh, Chip trained him with the walk-off score. You mentioned the play calling the sequence there. Ohio State with a incredible last effort, right to to get down the field to get in scoring position. They needed the touchdown. Uh, Buka's tackled at the one-yard line, no timeouts, inside 10 seconds. Uh, Ohio State's got to hurry up. They spike it. They run a pass play trying to get into the end zone. That's thrown incomplete, and so it truly does. With three seconds left, comes down to one final play. Unfortunately for Notre Dame, they only had 10 men on the field for that final play. After a timeout gets called, they talk about it, and somehow Notre Dame – and Al Golden's defense is not set. There's an overhead shot. I think Jeff Schwartz might have tre- tweeted it out first. We retweeted it from our uh, our Twitter account, at 3 Pod. There are only three down linemen. It is a goal line stand. You've got to have the stop. This is for the ball game. And Notre Dame only has three down linemen. Marcus uh, Freeman was asked, I think the first question is postgame presser, what happened on that final play? He said they realized they were a man short but didn't want to run somebody on to get a penalty yardage. Trey, you're back. How crazy of a rationale is that considering you are inside the one? A penalty doesn't matter. Did we settle the fact that could – did we decide if they could have called a timeout or not? I, I didn't hear if you guys had talked about that or not. I know with the new consecutive timeout rules. I think that happened on the play before, before the pass play. I can't remember if that's true or not, but I think that happened on the pass play of the play before. Yeah, but we know they had a timeout in their back pocket. They did. Regardless. They did. So, yeah, I, I mean, what do you want Marcus Freeman to say, right? Like, what, what, do you, what do you want him to say in that point? That's a huge, huge oversight in the biggest moment of the game. And that's a really frustrating thing to see if you're a Notre Dame fan. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a frustrating comment. It's a frustrating oversight and definitely could have been managed a lot better. And you hate that it's on the deciding play of the game, but I think that definitely, we still would have seen, we, we still would have seen Ohio state likely punch it in either way. I think it was a great play call. It was a gutsy play call to run the ball there. And they did what they had to do at the end of the day. 10 men or not. It, it was a boy. Uh, you hate to see that come down to a simple mistake. Like the Irish had it come down to, but yeah. hard fought game to the victor goes the spoils to Ohio state goes the glory and the prestige. And Garrett, we've got a guy waiting in the wings right now. Oh yeah. 
one of our most loyal fans from day one, Joe from Longview, an Ohio State fan. Joe, welcome into the show. Um, you've got to be feeling like you're on cloud nine right now. Well, like like you guys said, long time listener, uh, second time caller. Happy to be here. Um, and uh, man, as as that last play was ensuing, I had no idea they had ten men on the field. I had no idea that they had a timeout. I was just getting flashbacks of the Georgia game, and I was just like, it's either going to be a sure elation or uh, pure disappointment again, and feeling sick to your stomach. So uh, I feel good. Uh, I feel a little wired right now, like Trey said earlier. So it's uh, feels good. Joe, I'm I'm curious, um, and and we'll we'll talk about this more as well as we go throughout the night. It's kind of a theme with coaches looking for legacy wins, getting monkeys off their back. To an Ohio State fan, what does this win mean for Ryan Day and his legacy? Yeah, I mean, I don't think his legacy is going to change much until he beats Michigan. I think that's the um, like he could go eight and five and beat Michigan and he's fine. You know, like that's the uh, he's got a big uh, <laughs> he has the probably the most pressure besides Saban out of any uh, coach in the country as far as expectations. Um, but I think this is huge. I mean, you saw it in his post game press conference. If you guys watched it. He was calling out Lou Holtz. He was fired up. Looked like he was about to just like <laughs> go into a cage match fight. Um, yeah, he's he's passionate guy, and he's had some. I mean, there was some questionable play, questionable play calls that he called all night, and you're just like, man, is this going to be the same uh, story that we've seen? Um, and then he finally ran the ball. I'm like, thank goodness, you know, like um, Chip train him like people don't realize that guy put on like 25 pounds in the off season. Um, and like the, he's like basically a fullback now, but he still has some good uh, agility and uh, moves. So like, it was just a great get Travion out. He's not an inside the tackle guy. Um, but yeah, that was a good move. Joe, as you look at the defensive performance and you think about, you know, down the line, I don't know that very many teams on the schedule will challenge Ohio State before Michigan at the end of the year. Does a defensive performance like this give you confidence? And, you know, Ohio State's really struggled in the bully ball type games in the past under Ryan Day. Does seeing this defense, not just this week, but the previous few weeks as well, give you a little bit more confidence in those types of games? Yeah, like in the past, like under Jim Trestle, Urban Meyer, the defense was always the uh, – the thing that carried the teams uh and you know since day took over it's it's really swung the pendulum the other other side uh and it's just like it finally was like good to be like wow we can actually make some stops and like notre dame really had like imposed their will um with the line of scrimmage like but ohio state didn't give up that big play like they always did um against michigan against georgia um they just they just kept keeping them in front of them as much as they could, um, and then finally got and got some really big fourth down plays too. Um, stopped Sam Hartman a few times, and uh, yeah, I'm pumped about how they're looking so far. Yeah, so uh, Joe, we're uh, looking right now at the chat, and uh, we're gonna bring up a question from a good friend of yours, Teddy Moore. Uh, we we had that little encounter last time, but I have a question for you there. 
Uh, Teddy says, Joe, what is your confidence level on McCord being QB1? Oh, after tonight, 11 out of 10. Hang no, on. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was at the beginning. Oh, if, if this says anything in my group text with my family, I, I said, we need to put Devin Brown in after the first two uh, series. <laughs> and, uh, Your fandom. I love yeah, it. I it was just it. like, get him out of there. Um, but McCord, I, I'll give him credit. Like that was the drive that was going to solidify his season. I think um, of just like, can you, and he had like, there was some close calls. He almost threw two picks. Like, yeah. Um, had the intentional grounding and you're like, Oh gosh, here it comes. And mm-hmm. um I think that throw to Mbuka was gutsy, put it on his back shoulder. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think you could just see after that when he was getting up on the bleachers and, like, screaming, like, I think this was a good um, identity game for him um, that he needed. Um, so, yeah, I feel pretty confident. I mean, I'm not, like, C.J. Stroud confident by any means but uh, wait, wait you mean the guy who just started his what fourth game doesn't give you the confidence of the guy that got drafted like number two overall yeah i mean that's the we've gotten there's been uh uh spo- what is it spoils of riches or whatever it is like the last few years so yeah. it's just been like you know he's felt like a little bit of a letdown the first few weeks and uh but it was good to just see him battle um, i think he's gonna keep growing well, Joe, uh, Ryan Day said it's Ohio State against the world uh, after the game. Uh, I'm very curious to see what this does for the team's confidence going forward. Obviously, not uh, not a ton of tests in that Big Ten slate, but overcoming a massive hurdle uh, this week. And now, you know, you'll gear up for Penn State. You'll gear up for Michigan at the end of the season. Uh, we're really looking forward to seeing what Ohio State can do and uh, looking forward to have to having you uh, join the show again. Appreciate your time tonight. And uh, certainly, certainly hope you get to celebrate the win responsibly, huh? <laughs> yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks Turney for uh, uh, always giving us a hard time. It's really Ohio state versus Garrett. Uh, that, look, if that's going to be my legacy on this podcast. <laughs> I'll take that with a badge of honor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate Good it. Job. Joe. All right, Joe from Longview. There he goes. Big time Ohio State fan. Uh, Garrett, we might need to print the t-shirts. Ohio State versus Garrett. Uh, Look, I, I am already <laughs> mocking one of those up in can. That's right. Three tech, three tech pod forward slash shop. Uh, you know, come come check out some merch. Um, all right, guys. So Ohio State, they beat Notre Dame. That's that's gonna be a massive talking point. But we also had a number of other incredible days. Someone's dog goes crazy. Uh Number of other incredible games throughout today's slate. Let's go to Florida State Clemson. That game goes to overtime in the noon window. Florida State 31, Clemson 24. Guys, a question that I have off the top of my head Florida State, are they a contender or a pretender after beating Clemson on the road in Death Valley, where it takes a lot of guts to to pull one out against Dabo Sweeney? I think they're a contender at this point. I mean, this is what we would have said preseason, and let's not lower the expectations. This is a team that, you know, in in Clemson, that a lot of people picked to go to the playoff. A lot of people thought, hey, this is going to be one of the teams that we should think is a favorite. This is a team that, you know, everyone's going to think this will be the team to go win the ACC. They're back. The defense is good. Klubnik is going to take the next step. 
And I mean, so far we've been pretty disappointed in the big spots, but why change the expectations now? Florida State went on the road and beat a good Clemson team. Not the same level Clemson team we thought they were. Definitely not the elite type of Clemson team we're used to seeing, but they still went on the road and beat them in a tough game where, I mean, as you can see on the stats, they didn't necessarily outdo Clemson in very much. They, they no. barely outpassed them. They didn't run the ball. Um, they, you know, Clemson has the one turnover, of course, that massive Cade Clubman getting destroyed. <laughs> Just, I mean, one of the toughest hits I've seen a kid take in a while. Um, but yeah, like they lost on first downs. They weren't nearly as good on third down. So I, I just, you know, I look at this and I say that they didn't necessarily outdo anybody, but they outplayed them in the in the competitive moments when they needed to, right? They, you know, they, they missed the field goal at the end, Clemson did. And so what does Florida State do? They go drive the field and, and put, you know, a little bit of fear of God in them, right? They, they do what they need to to put some drives together and, and keep almost punching it through. I don't think that they played their best game at all tonight or this morning when they played. Um, I don't even play the best game at all, but they ended up beating a good Clemson team. I think that this is a contending team. I think that this is a team that can go all the way and, and we're waiting to see what they can do when they put it all together. Right. I, I don't think that they've completely, maybe outside of that LSU game, don't think they've put everything together in all phases for four quarters. Well, and they're doing what good teams do, right? They're finding a way to win on the road in adverse circumstances I know Boston College isn't a giant slayer, but it was a red bandana game, and they were up 31 to 10 in that game. And they just knocked off the juggernaut for the last decade in their conference, a team that they hadn't beaten home or away in a decade. So, yeah, they're a contender for the college football playoff. They are here to stay, and they are going to make some noise up and down the schedule this year. So I think their biggest test left is definitely – I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I know they play Miami. That's going to be a huge test. I know they play Florida at the end of the year. That might not be, you know, who knows what type of team Florida is going to have by November. But the schedule is setting up for them to make a run to the college football playoff. We would have been ecstatic and we would have been saying preseason if they go one and one against LSU and Clemson, they're right there in the college football playoff hunt. They just went two and oh. So regardless of what Clemson's done, they're a more talented team on paper. That is a very talented defense that they were able to find a way up and down the game. They didn't lead until overtime, but they found a way to stay in that game. Their defense stepped up in big spots. So you talk about the defensive touchdown. You talk about, you know, just the pressure they put on Cade Klubnik all game. Jared Verse had another phenomenal game. That defensive line was giving a lot of problems. And, yeah, this is a team that has the pieces to make a run. They have an elite pass rush. They have an all-time Heisman quarterback. And – they're only going to get better as the season goes along. They haven't played their best football yet. They're 4-0, and they've beaten two of the best programs in the country. That's a great point. You know, when when you step back, well, first, when you look at the stats, you may go, oh, Florida State had another down game. Maybe they got lucky. Uh, they, they weaseled their way into a win. It's very easy to, to kind of make excuses or make generalizations that oh, Florida State's a pretender, not a contender. Garrett, I would say... They went on the road into one of the hardest places to win. Did it look pretty? No, absolutely not. But you know what? There are no pictures on a scorecard, right? And no matter how lopsided the offensive totals were, you almost get outgained by Clemson by 100 yards. You rush for 22 total yards. It was the Jordan Travis show, or it was nothing for Florida State. Their secondary got picked on by Cade Klubnik, who we've had real questions about all season long 
And yet, as Trey mentioned, you put yourself in a position to succeed. You have a well-timed blitz from Kalen Deloach, who, yeah, just pancakes Klubnik and then is able to scoop and score that to tie the ball game at 20, uh, 24. Yes, you take advantage of a 29-yard a, a missed kick to force overtime and then the win. Disney movie that was not, right? Oh. The Disney movie that was not. All of that to say, though, it may not have been pretty. It wasn't sexy. Were you the peak Florida State team that we're expecting, a team that you probably need to be consistently to go to the playoff? No. And yet, not playing your best was good enough to go on the road to Death Valley in a tricky spot with all the momentum against you, the vast majority of that game, and beat the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, and that's the point, is you have to be able to not play your best and still find ways to win. And when you don't play your best and you find a way to win by seven on the road at a team who's been one of the best teams, not just in your conference, but in the country the last couple of years, when you can find a way to do that, you're a good team. <laughs> you're a really solid team. And this is the type of team that, you know, if they are one of the ones to go on the road to a Notre Dame or on the road to an Ohio State or, or one of these teams we just talked about being one of the top teams, I believe they can compete, right? I just put a couple of these stats up too. Love this connection that we have uh, between Jordan Travis and, and Cole, uh, Keon Coleman. I love the connection. Uh, they are the five catches, 86 yards, and both of the receiving touchdowns that came from Jordan Travis going to Keon Coleman. Love the connection there. When you have that kind of a connection, that's going to help you go on the road as well. right? That's going to help you go on the road. That can help you when you have that kind of a, a strong connection between two players. But at the end of the day, having the experienced quarterback, having the defense that'll step up, and just doing the little things right. You know, it, it doesn't seem like Florida State has always been that going to dominate you in all four phases or all three phases for all four quarters, but they do the little things right. They take advantage of their opportunities. They, you know, they don't just fall on the fumble. They scoop it and score, right? They don't just, oh, you missed a field goal. Well, that's cool. We're going to go and try to make the best of it. They go right back down and try to put another touchdown on the board to try to end the game. But, you know, and, and again, they, you know, are in the advantageous spot. They scored the touchdown, then have to play defense in overtime. And what did they do? They stack up and they stop you. Fantastic job all the way across from Florida State. I think this is one of the best teams in the country. Um, I think that they should be treated as such. And I think that, you know, when you're not playing your best football and you find ways to win, you should be considered one of the top programs in the nation. I am. Yeah. I'm so curious to see at the end of this season, what Florida State's road looks like. Because, Trey, as you mentioned, the path there to the college football playoff is becoming more and more clear, right? Now you have a couple of, of challenges uh, in, in Miami. Florida looked plucky last week. They only scored 22 against Charlotte this week, so who knows what the Gators are. But Florida State, I think, is to me emerging as a real contender in the ACC. Now, let's transition over to the SEC West, where I mentioned last week we have more questions than answers. As we talk about Alabama beating Ole Miss 24-10, to 10, guys, my question for this game, I'm asking you to make sense of this, and Trey, we'll start with you. Who did we learn more about today, Alabama or Ole Miss in a 24-10 to 10 victory in Tuscaloosa? Well, um, I don't know that we learned much. If you've been paying attention to both of these programs over the last couple of years, and especially, you know, Ole Miss, because – 
this is Ole Miss' best chance to beat Alabama in a long, long time. And instead of working on the game plan, their coach decided to poke the bear at his press conference and troll him. And I tweeted this out today. Lane Kiffin is way too self-absorbed to ever win anything of consequence in college football. And I'm going to need somebody to change my mind on that because instead of taking things seriously, it seems like he'd much rather build his online persona than build a winning football team. And it, it showed today he was outclassed. Alabama was down and out in this game or in the, in the season, right? Like they are on the mat. You have every opportunity to go in there with a good game plan and just bury the tide in September and knock them out of college football playoff contention. And you put up 10 points and we're supposed to call you this offensive savant. Like I know Alabama has an elite defense. I know that I'm not taking anything away from Alabama and I'll talk about the winning team here in just a second, but I got to get my kick in on lane while he's down because he is the most overrated coach in college football. He gets all the media attention the media fawns over everything he says, and he's doing all this stuff while he's not game planning. Like, there's just not enough time in the day to run a Twitter account for your dog that talks to your Twitter account and still put in a good game plan. All right, I'm done ranting about that. <laughs> Alabama's defense was elite. Alabama did just enough on offense to keep out Ole Miss at arm's reach. I don't know that you're walking away from this one confident in the Alabama offense. It probably felt a lot like the Texas A&M game last year. If you're an Alabama fan where you're just kind of keeping them at arm's reach A&M put up a little bit more of a fight than Ole Miss did last year in, in Tuscaloosa. But yeah, I, I don't know that you're necessarily learned anything new. Jalen Milrow pretty much is what he is at this point. He's your best option. And you got to hope that he does just enough on offense that the defense can carry you through the rest of these games. They have a few more tricky offenses on the schedule. Tennessee can put up a lot of points. AM can put up a lot of points if Connor Wegman's healthy. LSU can certainly put up a lot of points. Arkansas can if they are, you know, fully functional. But you got to hope that the defense is leading the charge. And I think that we already knew that about Alabama. If we didn't know that already, we know it now. It's going to be a defensive-led football team, and we're going to hope that the offense does just enough with Jalen Milrow to keep winning. Well, you see the stats on your screen there. If you're watching on YouTube or over on Twitter, if you're listening to the podcast, Milrow's final number, 17-21 for 225 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Uh, Jace McClellan looked great for Alabama, 17 carries for a buck five, 6.1 or 6.2 yards per carry. He also had a touchdown. On the other side, Ole Miss couldn't do anything on the ground. Jackson Dart did not look special, 244 yards. He Jackson throws Dart looks like last year's Jackson Dart, and that's a he, problem for Ole Miss. He, he absolutely did. The interception that he threw was abysmal. Uh, Jalen Milrow threw an interception in the corner of the end zone into triple coverage. Jackson Dart almost upstaged him by throwing a deep ball into absolute no man's land. Um, I don't know if he just had it slip. It didn't look like it was a clean throw, uh, but a bad interception on a drive when they really needed to score points. I mentioned Judkins only 56 yards. Now he hasn't been healthy this season, but they continue to trot him out there. And so he's got to be healthy enough to play at some point. You've got to be able to lean on your bell cow, but Ole Miss, I, I didn't really understand the game plan offensively at all. They didn't really commit to the pass or to the run. Um, they had far too many ineffective, ineffective plays where it looked like Bama kind of knew exactly what they wanted to do. And Garrett on, on your graphic, just a minute ago, 10 tackles for loss, five sacks, 
for Alabama, a, a defense that at times has looked completely lost this season. So I, I ask you, what do you make of Ole Miss supposedly being kind of maybe the class of the SEC West? At least that's what they were being billed as to be on some channels. And they can only muster 10 points, a touchdown in the first, a field goal in the third against an Alabama team that is certainly not as strong as as what we've seen in years past. Yeah, it's. I was honestly kind of disgusted with Ole Miss and the way that they played. I, I didn't understand the the game plan whatsoever for them. You know, they, they come out there, and you mentioned it, Quinshawn hasn't been healthy, but he's by far the best player on their roster when he's healthy. And, and when he's playing well, he's absolutely their best offensive weapon, and you have to find ways to get him the ball. So if he can play, you want him to play. And unless there's some, like, snap count that he's on somewhere behind the scenes, Letting him touch the ball 13 times makes zero sense to me. He had 13 carries for 56, and if he's not 100% and you're not establishing the run, it is what it is, right? But, you know, for him to get that little attention and to get that little amount of usage as their best player, for me, that's disgusting. You can't do that. You can't leave your best player on the bench, especially if you're going to a team who that's your old boss and Nick Saban and that's the guy who's been the big bad wolf in the SEC for as long as they are and they're vulnerable and you're talking all your mess on Twitter and all that stuff, right? If you're doing all that, you can't you can't leave your best player on the bench. Now, talking about Jackson Dart, he did not have a very good game and I've talked about, you know, the last couple of weeks just looking at some of the stats thinking, oh, I think that it's probably Daniels and Dart and Wigman as the top three in the SEC. Well, that list probably shrunk today for two different reasons. Um, Wigman may not be healthy. I don't know what his situation is. We're still waiting to see what happens with him. But Dart did not play well in the big spot. He played well against Tulane, and that's a big game in some ways. But he did not play well in the big spot against Alabama. That interception you're talking about, Mitch, it almost reminded me of what happens in a high school game when a quarterback isn't strong enough to throw it all the way down there because that ball came up like five or ten yards short of where his receiver was running. It looked terrible, and I'm sure that he's not just, like, so weak that he can't throw it there, but something was wrong with the way that ball came out. And, look, are you going to kill a kid for just one throw? No, absolutely not. But you do have to start asking questions when the entire game plan – I think he threw the ball, what, 39 times? He threw the ball a whole lot of times, and then Quinshawn gets 13 touches. I just I don't get the game plan. You know, Bama's defense played really well, five, five sacks, ten tackles for loss. If you do that, you're doing something right but it may also have something to do with how poorly the other offense is playing. And, and they looked lost out there at times. It looked like they didn't know what to call and they couldn't take advantage of, you know, different things when it's, you know, Hey, it looks, it looks like they're not playing well against the intermediate stuff. And then they go right back to running the football. Well, now they're going to stuck you know, stack up the run and it's a second along situation. Well, now it's time to air it out deep. And, and it just didn't seem like they knew what to do. And they were reacting to what Bama was doing on defense. I was disgusted with the game plan. I thought it was terrible. Lane Kiffin should be ashamed of himself for talking all that mess and then putting on that performance that he did. So I'm 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 not impressed at all. Maybe he should have watched more Pete Golding film. Yeah, maybe, maybe he would have been ready for the defense. Gosh, yeah, coming out and saying, "Oh, the guy who calls the defense actually isn't who you think it is, but we know who it is." Um, the, clown the Mongolian, it's clown behavior. Let's just call it what it is. It's the Mongolian. Yeah, I'm, I'm done trying to protect Lane on the. I, we tried to stick up for him a little bit, right? We didn't say we loved him, but we weren't as much of a hater as we were on the last preview pod. Come on, 
Why like, why continue to invest nuggies on all to the wolves with this just guy? Just poor poor financial behavior. Um Peter Burns from ESPN tweeted succinctly what I think we are all feeling. Third straight year, Ole Miss has had the team to beat Alabama. Third straight year, Lane pokes the greatest of all time on game week for social buzz. Third straight year, Bama beats Ole Miss. When you put Alabama on a pedestal, not only does your team feel it, but so does Alabama. Time for a new approach. Um, the writing's on the wall, and uh, and and unless Lane Kiffin is willing to adjust, willing to log out of Twitter, all he will ever be is an excellent offensive coordinator. But right now, Kiffin is an average head coach at best, and his track record is indefensible. You cannot tell me, no, Lane Kiffin's a great head coach because he doesn't have the skins on the wall to back it up. You've got to have a behavioral change uh, in the Grove. Otherwise, Ole Miss will be nothing more than an eight-win, a nine-win team, always threatening to upset somebody but never actually reaching that goal. Uh, let's keep it in the SEC West for – Trey, we talked about this. We talked about this. I I'm got so you I'm so glad I switched pick. my pick at the last minute. I'm the so research. glad I talked myself out of it. That's right. The research don't lie, man. Number 12 LSU hangs on to beat Arkansas 34-31. This was a fantastic game. Trey, you were mentioning earlier there were so many games going on. Garrett had the Octobox, which I was extremely jealous about. Uh, I I forgot this game was on. I was switching between games on my on my TV, on my laptop, on my phone, uh, over at a family function. I completely forgot this game was on until the second half. Thirty four thirty one LSU ekes out a victory. The line was what seventeen and a half, eighteen and a half in some places. It was up to eighteen. This was supposed to be a blowout according to Vegas, but we said you look at the history of this game and no matter how good Arkansas is, they always play them tough. KJ Jefferson had a fantastic game in what was an, another great chapter in the series uh, rivalry of the boot. Yeah, now the fourth year in a row that's been decided by a field goal exactly. This was a really, really fun back-and-forth game. It was on ESPN. I know it was at the same time as the Notre Dame-Ohio State game that a lot of people were watching. But, man, this just – it was a little bit of a defensive slugfest at first. Arkansas came out hot, up 13-10 at halftime, so a little bit low scoring. But then all the offense broke out in the third quarter. LSU races out in front. Arkansas claws back. Almost knocks off LSU in Baton Rouge, but LSU does just enough to get a full drive down at the end and get down to three seconds left to kick a winning field goal. And, you know, both of these secondaries, I think, uh, are going to be asking themselves a lot of questions. There were a lot of deep bombs that were thrown from both of these quarterbacks. So a really fun quarterback battle tonight as well between Daniels and uh, Jefferson. So I don't know, like both these secondaries are probably going to be asking a lot of questions, watching a lot of film this weekend and, you know, really fun offensive shootout in a rivalry game. You hate for Arkansas to just be on the short end of the stick in two back-to-back shootouts, right? They got to figure out something on the defensive side of the ball going forward if they want to get back to the winning ways. But LSU finds a way to win a tough one at home, finds a way to win a rivalry game, and they all of a sudden, I think, find themselves right back in the driver's seat in the SEC West. Well, and, and Gary, that's the question that I want to ask you next. Uh, Jaden Daniels, four touchdowns, 320 yards to the air. KJ Jefferson, three touchdowns. 289 yards through the air. 
the stat that stands out to me uh, in, in a big reason why Arkansas lost this game, five red zone trips for the Hogs, only two touchdowns to show for it. Three times they wasted drives inside the 20-yard line. Part of that is just because of mistakes they made. Part of that is because LSU bowed up and got the stop. So, Garrett, question for you. We watched Ole Miss wet the bed. Alabama is not what they have been in years past, although they might be dangerous. Texas A&M may be out of starting quarterback, although they looked stifling against Auburn today. We'll talk about that in a minute. All things aside, is LSU the clear-cut favorite in the SEC West? Uh, I'm going to answer with a yes with an asterisk. I'm going to say yes, asterisk. We still have to wait and see. Right? There's, there's all sorts of stuff that can happen, but right now they're in the driver's seat. Um, right now, Daniels is the best quarterback in the SEC. Right now, they're clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. But there's a couple things that I'm watching and, and something that I want to make sure that we look at as we go through the year. Number one, you have to wait and see if Connor Wigman's healthy because AM seems to just be the thorn in LSU's side the last couple of years. They've kind of been trading blows back and forth, going back to that seven overtime game. And, you know, if it's if it's anything that they want more than just to ruin another season – you know, that, that'll be another thing Anum's looking at. But I also want to look at the development of Milrow at, at Alabama. If he can throw the ball the way that he did, uh, if he can throw the ball as effectively as he did and Bama can keep playing good defense, I think that's a game they have to look out for because I believe that game is in Tuscaloosa. Um, and, and so yes. I believe yeah, I was going to say I think that's games on the road for them. So a couple of tough games I think left for them. I'm going to go say, yes, they're in the driver's seat. Clearly they control their own destiny and, you know, they haven't lost yet, so they can do whatever they want to. And then if they keep winning, everything's going to be just fine. They have the pieces, they have the playmakers. I'm a little bit nervous on the defensive side after what we just saw against KJ Jefferson, who I still don't think is probably an, a very elite quarterback in the SEC. Uh, I think shown by the fact that what you just said, five trips to the red zone, only two touchdowns. If you have a big physical quarterback who's supposed to lead you, you want to see more than that. Uh, coming out at the at the end of the end of the game, but no, I just I think you have to look at this and say that LSU right now stands above the rest of the competition, but they're certainly susceptible and they haven't climbed to such a point yet where another team couldn't grow and then catch up with them. Yeah, it's another team that I feel like hasn't played their best football yet, right? And they're not playing up to their potential just yet. I'll say they're in the driver's seat as well. I think that for me right now, if I'm if I have to lay a hundred dollars on a team to win the SEC West right now, it's LSU. But there's so many opportunities for them to trip up. They're so early in their schedule, obviously. It there's just the SEC West is wide open. It's gonna be nuts this year. I bet the winning team has at least two losses, if not three, going Ooh. into Atlanta. There's a chance. And that means does that mean Georgia has to win win out? to get the sec in the playoff is there a legit chance the sec is missing the playoff as we sit here in september yeah yeah there absolutely has to be i mean tell me point to the team guys georgia which we might mention in the the scoreboard section georgia took forever to put uab away it's another slow start for a georgia bulldogs team that i'm starting to wonder if they're closer to that really good camp than they are that elite camp. Now, the defense continues to be one of the best in college football, but one of these times, that slow start on offense, they're not going to be able to catch up. And and that really concerns me for the SEC. So, yes, I think there is a 
definite chance that the SEC, after having this death grip on college football, misses the, the playoff for the first time uh, in, in their history. I, I think LSU has to be the, the favorite to win the SEC West, I should say. Um, I feel like they they have to focus on figuring out what on earth is the issue in the secondary. If they can get that under control, I trust their front seven. Harold Perkins was extremely disruptive today against Arkansas. It feels like maybe they're figuring out how to use him again, whether it's as a pass rusher or as a a, a true stand-up linebacker. He's talented enough where he's going to figure it out. You're in a conference that doesn't have the plethora of high-caliber quarterbacks like they've had in the past. And so if there is ever a year for LSU to be the clear-cut favorite to make it to Atlanta, I think it's this year. An explosive offense, a defense that's going to harass your quarterback that should stop your run. As long as you're not throwing deep balls time and time again, you should win that game if you're the LSU Tigers. So I, I feel pretty confident that from where we sit right now, unless a Texas A&M beats them in Baton Rouge, unless they lose to Alabama in a defensive-minded game, much like we saw today against Ole Miss, in my mind, LSU is that clear-cut favorite. Uh, let's go out west. The Pac-12 uh, in, guys, the boat racing of the week. And I, I think, I can't remember which of you was on, on the same side as me, taking Oregon minus the points, and which of you took Colorado to cover. But number 10, I, I Oregon. Took Colorado. Yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe not the best take cover, ever, not the win. You didn't call them out right. Like, some yeah, not outright. I, I did not call them out. Getting right. old text exposed today. Uh, yeah. But those stats that are on your screen right now, if you're on YouTube or over on Twitter, are um, alarming, right? Uh, 522 total yards of offense. It could have been so much worse for Oregon, just a shade under 200 for Colorado. Uh, Oregon. Absolutely destroyed Colorado in every aspect of this game. And Dan Lanning made it very clear that they were out for blood today. They wanted to make a statement win. Now, and I've already written this for our article, Headlines in Review. Um, The easy reaction and the, the common reaction that you're going to get on Sports Talk Radio this week is some sort of regression back to the mean. Oh, well, Deion Sanders has has his flaws. And is this Colorado team overrated? Have we misjudged them? And frankly, I I hate that that's what these big letter networks are going to do because you had Twitter clips going around that were viral this week. Some of the stupidest takes I've mm-hmm. ever heard on, on, on Fox's network saying, one, that Colorado was an elite team. Two, that Oregon, that this Oregon team, was not one of the better Oregon teams that they've fielded in the last several years. This is the best Oregon team since 2014. There is no doubt about that. There is no metric that you can point to that says, no, this isn't a great Oregon team. But to hear from these guys that get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go on network radio and say, yeah, Colorado actually should be favorite. This is this line is insulting to Colorado. It should be the opposite. Just blew me away. Because there was no no way in my mind that Oregon didn't do exactly what they did. Go out and boat race a Colorado team that is not physical in the trenches, that cannot stop anybody in the secondary, and at the end of the day was missing 
maybe the best player on the field in Travis Hunter who plays offense and defense. That recipe did not come out to an upset victory or even keeping this game close against an Oregon team that has everything clicking. Now, Trey, Dan Lanning was very, very confident in his pre, pre-game speech, right? He said that Colorado is looking for clicks. Oregon is looking for championships. To me, I don't think Dan Lanning overstepped his bounds, said anything inflammatory, honestly said anything that wasn't all that true. To me, Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks made a statement to not only the Pac-12 conference that they are here to win a championship, but also to recruits that will certainly be deciding between Dion and Dan Lanning. And he made a statement that Oregon is far and away the better program and that Eugene is the place you should be playing, not Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, all is fair in love and recruiting, right? And every West Coast kid that's worth anything is going to have USC, Oregon, Colorado, and maybe UCLA or one other school out West in their top five uh, at the end of the day, right? So he's going to be going up against Dion for a lot of prized recruits on the West Coast. He's got to have some ammo to fight back against Dion. It's not like we can just expect all these coaches to roll over for him. And you know what? This year specifically, Dan Lanning got to say that, right? He he said that knowing what was probably going to happen in this game. And it's ironic because he knew that was going to go viral. He knew the ESPN cameras were in the room. And he knew that, that was probably going to get broadcasted on ESPN during the game. But He's doing that for recruiting, and he knew that this was a likely outcome today. If he's honest, if you pour the truth serum into his you know, coffee tomorrow morning, he would probably tell you he knew that this was the most likely outcome of this game. Oregon could have named their score today. Oregon could have put up 70. Oregon could have put up you know, 60. They called off the dogs in the second half. 42-6 to six was more than enough of a statement for them, and they just didn't want anybody to get hurt as their conference race really kicks up. So Hats off to Oregon. They cemented themselves as a true college football playoff contender today, in my mind. And this Pac-12 race is going to be absolutely bonkers down the stretch as we get more and more of these matchups between Oregon, Washington, Oregon, USC, Utah, who you know won a really big game today against UCLA that we'll talk about in a little bit. So this is going to be a really, really fun race down the stretch. Garrett, we'll, we'll go to Utah next, and we'll kind of segue with this. Take us inside the Utah, what Utah puts on the field from a defensive standpoint and compare it to what Oregon does offensively. If those two teams were to meet on a neutral site tomorrow, which team do you like and why? Uh, Oregon, because I don't think Cam Rising's healthy tomorrow. Um, that's sure. that's kind of my <laughs> that's kind of my go-to right now on that game. Um, look, and and I'm I was saving this for the show, but I want us to probably for the next preview show, I think it'd be interesting to lead off with our, each of our individual top tens. Cause right now you're going to have a hard time telling me why Oregon is not the best team in the nation after what I just saw. Um, I, I think that they've probably put themselves out there. I don't think today had very much to do with Colorado. I think Colorado is still the team that we saw. This is a team that, and I want to go ahead and rewind this, put up loads of points against TCU, loads of points against Nebraska. And yeah, they were in a dogfight with Colorado State, but they still scored a bunch. This is a team that proved that they can move the football. They proved that they can do what they need to do on offense. And yeah, 
they can't do anything on defense. I, I knew that that was going to be why Oregon won this game, but I thought they keep it close and, and you know lose by 10 points, 14 points, because ultimately Oregon would just have the dogs to run faster. And what happened? Oregon destroyed them. The, across the board defensively, Oregon was able to get pressure on the quarterback whenever they felt like it. They tackled well in space. They covered extremely well. I mean, everything that you'd want them to do, they played with the intensity that you want to see on a defense. They played well as a unit. They were flying to the ball. I mean, Oregon impressed me with their defense more than anything else. I knew everyone was going to talk about the offense coming on here, and the offense was impressive, right? They could have done whatever they wanted to. They went for it on fourth and goal, like, later in the third when they were up 42 nothing. They're like, no, nah, we're going to keep putting the, the foot on the neck. We're going to keep going for it. And, and I appreciate that. Don't get me wrong. And and I did tweet out that Dan Lanning is a BAMF, and if you want to go look up what that means, feel free. Um, but – Look, I love that attitude. I love what this is. But Dan Dan Lanning wants to make a statement here, right? There's a reason they went and put 81 on Portland State. There's a reason they went and, and put up 42-6 on these guys before they finally decided to stop. It's because Dan Lanning has his team focused and they are ruthless. I'm going to take that over probably anybody else right now. And, and I, look, I'm not trying to overhype Oregon just based on one result. I'm trying to say I'm looking at what they're doing. I'm looking at what they've been doing so far this season, and I think this is one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country. Now, I might have to step back and say, well, you know, actually, when I really think about it, it's somebody else. But Oregon's going to be in my top two or three right now. I think that they're clearly the best team in the Pac-12 after that performance, and I think that you're going to start to find out why once they start going up against some of these other big dogs, too. I I would pick them over Utah right now. Um, If Cam Rising comes back, it becomes interesting though I don't necessarily know that it matters, but but they, they would beat Utah right now. I think that's a good answer. I think it's a very solid answer. I think Oregon, I think it's a great, great idea. Let's bookmark that. Let's start next next preview with our top 10, our personal top 10s. I love it. Because I agree. I think after this performance, consistency that you've seen, Oregon is a top three team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I, I need to look it out and make my list, but like, just saying that out loud, it feels right. But like I said this to myself during the day when I was watching. I said, if Oregon right now were to line up on a neutral field against Georgia, I know what we saw last year, forget last year, but what we've seen out of Georgia on offense and maybe some of the inconsistencies and the new quarterback, it's not it's not that hard of a it's not that much of a jump to try to say that Oregon would win that game on a neutral field against Georgia. And I think Bo Nix is a different player than he was. Yeah. In oh, that game. absolutely. Bo Nix was Bo Nix was a different player in in Atlanta, Georgia last year than he is right now. Yep. Tell you a team that might be slipping out of that top five is USC. They are struggling with Arizona State right now uh, on the road in uh, in Tempe. Drew Pine is the starting quarterback for Arizona State. USC's turned it over twice deep in their own territory. Caleb Williams just almost threw an interception uh, as we Oof. were talking. Uh, Ooh, speaking of interceptions, you've been LV, baby. Lock of the week, <laughs> minus two and a half. Just picked off UTEP. <laughs> Probably still. <sealed. laughs> that is a bad UTEP team. Um, hey, let's quick, wrap up. Real quick before we do this, got a quick comment again. Got a top five from Teddy. Top five, Oregon, Michigan, Texas, Florida State, Georgia. Hard to argue. It is. It is a that's a very solid top five. Thank you, Teddy, for for sending that in. Uh, let's wrap up the Pac-12 here. Uh, at least the finals. Uh, we've got number eleven Utah and uh, number twenty-two UCLA in a tight one, fourteen-seven. 
And guys, 17 straight games now, the Utah Utes winning at Rice-Eccles Stadium. It was the defense that stood up once again. Trey, you texted us. Uh, UCLA kind of happened into a touchdown, made it a little bit closer than than what it had felt. But for the majority of that game, it felt like a 14 to nothing chasm was just unbridgeable for UCLA, which we're not used to seeing from a typically offensively proficient uh, Bruins team. Yeah, I'll I'll share my freezing cold take. My freezing cold take was that Dante Moore was going to have his breakout game today. And uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, safe to say he did not do anything of the sort of a breakout today. It was a tough day at the office for the UCLA offense. Utah's defensive line combined with a very porous offensive line from UCLA was just a horrible combination for Dante Moore. His receivers were dropping passes left and right. He, he didn't play well, but he wasn't getting any help from the offensive line or from his receivers. Uh, I think, you know, RG3 during the AM Auburn game kept calling him uh, HBO plays, right? Help a brother out. Mm-hmm. Nobody was helping Dante Moore out nope. today. He was a true freshman out there all by his lonesome. And, you know, Utah's offense is definitely not a finished polished product without Cam Rising, but their defense is elite right now. I was really impressed by that today. That touchdown was just a lucky drive, a fourth and eight conversion, then a bomb pass to set it up. That was really out of nowhere. And then Utah buckled back down, you know, shut it down on fourth down and got like three sacks on the last sequence to shut that game down, take away any hope for UCLA. Yeah, uh, ended up looking up those stats for you, Trey. Moore's uh, final line here, completed 15 of 35 passes for 234 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, That one interception was the first play of the game. Welcome to the big time, kid. Um, That was an interception that got picked off. It was a sliding out linebacker, I think, who just slid out the coverage. Didn't see him for a second and took that one to the house. That was the first play of the game. Do you have how many sacks Utah got handy? Because um, I had that in seven. the earlier stuff. I think it was seven, seven. sacks and seven something back. like 11 tackles for loss total. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find that again in the team. Um, yeah, I think it's something like that. But it was yeah. a crazy number of sacks. One yeah. one guy, I wanted to shout him out. Um, Jonah Ellis had three and a half sacks by himself, five tackles for loss just by himself. Had a fantastic game there. 10 total tackles on the day. Fantastic. You know, have a day kid. Very proud of that. So, you know, it's, and and what you were saying, Trey, this defense is elite, but what a heck of a year for Cam Rising to be injured, right? If you wanted last year's Cam Rising and you could just kind of pair that product with what you're getting right now out of the defense, this would probably be one of the best teams in the country. Last year, they averaged, I think, almost 40, if not over 40 points a game. Nate Johnson today for Utah, 9 of 17, 117 yards, and one touchdown. Guys, he had 14 carries for a net total yardage of two. Not not great. It's not, <laughs> not great. Not what you want. It's not great. But you know what? The saying is defense wins championships after all. So <laughs> uh, I think Utah is, is going to be just fine. Nobody wants to see them on their schedule, right? The, the Utah Utes are one of the most fearsome teams in all of college football. Uh, Let's slide down to getting weird on the Palouse because, guys, that's exactly what happened. Uh, We'll wrap up the Pac-12. Washington State knocks off Oregon State 35-38. Definitively, we have a Pac-2 champion. Congratulations to the Cougars. Um, Guys, Cam Ward, electric in this game. I I was wrong hand up. 
I said the the numbers, the metrics. Told you go Oregon State. My heart wanted to go with the magic at the Palouse, but ultimately I went with the numbers, and uh, that bit me this week because Cam Ward told Oregon State to take their seventh-ranked pass defense and shove it in the locker. He throws for 400 yards, four touchdowns. The rushing was really good. I mentioned that Washington State doesn't run the football. They still don't run the football a lot, but when they did, Oregon State had eight guys back, and the Cougars were able to get whatever they wanted when they needed to on the ground. Uh, A couple of key stats for your wide receivers. You look at a quarterback who throws for 400 yards, Maybe he spreads it out in, in most cases. No. We had uh, Kyle Williams, seven catches, 174 yards, and a touchdown. Josh Kelly, eight catches, 159 yards, and three scores. You flip it around, and, and Trey, you texted me we were a year early on, on the mm-hmm. Cam Ward hype, but I think what's maybe even more impressive was the way that the defense played tonight. DJ Uyunglele was running for his life. Yeah, that, that was really impressive. The final score wouldn't really indicate that, 38-35, if you didn't watch the game, but so many of those points came in a furious comeback effort that Oregon State almost, you know, they were just an onside kick recovery away, and they almost got the onside kick there at the end to have a chance to get a field goal to tie or a touchdown to win. But Washington State's defense was really, really impressive for the first three quarters of this game. DJU was running for his life. He had, didn't have time to breathe in the back backfield and you know not exactly what we were expecting from washington state but this is a plucky team you also said mitch that the apple cup this year like make that appointment viewing as we're sitting right here in september just go ahead and clear your calendar for whatever day that is um in uh on the last day of the last week of the college football calendar so appointment viewing apple cup this year could be for a pac-12 championship spot honestly because washington state is looking really, really good, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You pair that with a ferocious pass rush, that's a dangerous, dangerous combination. Well, that was a blast to watch over on Fox. The Pac-12 is is just a ton of fun right now. Uh, it's a shame it's going away, but uh, we'll celebrate the games while we can. Garrett, let's move on down to, we've got a kind of a hodgepodge of games here. Uh, now, Penn State 31, Iowa nothing. Uh, this was not worth flipping over to hardly at any point during this game. I I told you guys in the preview, Iowa has a ton of injuries. Um, The conventional wisdom was that Iowa would do enough to keep this inside 14 and a half. Trey even teased it up to what? 21 and a half, 21 and And, a half. And uh, we, we just, Iowa didn't play football today. I don't know what they did, but they did not play football today. It, It was an ugly ugly state of affairs uh for the hawkeyes um in garrett for for you it was in the rain drew aller did not have to do a lot uh, penn state did not have to do a lot quite honestly their defense played really well but what concerns still remain about penn state winning the big 10 even though they shut out an opponent like iowa i mean i think the concerns you have to have is that it took a weird circumstance and weird weather and weird whatever else to be an Iowa team who turns out maybe they still don't have an offense. Um, even after, you know, they had the massive 41 point explosion previously um, that didn't end up turning out to come to fruition at all. Um, I don't, I don't know what the pace is right now, but they have fallen massively off pace now. Um, it is, it is not close. So look, I mean, it's, it's, 
tough scene for Iowa. Um, you know, 76 total yards is tough. Four fumbles is awful. And, and I think if you're just looking at the Penn State concerns right now, my concerns would still be that if you look across the rest of your conference, you have a Michigan team that isn't slowing down. You have an Ohio State team that just got the big win, got all the noise and, and get to do that. And then you still look around, you see Maryland, who I'll still beat the drum for. They just beat you know Michigan State pretty handily today. They're looking at a couple of big matchups coming up there. So, look, you, you, they still have a lot of work to do in front of them, and I still don't feel like they're playing their best football. Maybe they are playing their best football, and this is just the product that we're getting. But I still feel like there's so much left in terms of meat on the bone for Penn State right now. That's fair. That's fair. It doesn't feel like they're – Fully optimized on offense, um, but a very strong showing from Penn State. They did what they needed to do. The defense uh, stood on its head. Iowa had 76 total yards. They fumbled the ball four times. Penn State's defense was flying around. Uh, just a great effort at home, a whiteout game in State College. Uh, before we go down to the Lone Star State, the other game I want to mention, Kansas 38, BYU 27. Low-key, Trey, this was the best game of the afternoon slate that got a little sleepy at points. Um, Kansas came to play, and they came to play in a physical way. It started from the first play of the game where Kansas rudely welcomed BYU to the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth because this was, you know, you don't think of Kansas as this big physical bruising football team, but when you line them up against BYU – you could definitely tell who the Power 5 conference team was. And Kansas is here to stay, guys. Lance Leipold, 4-0 start for the second year in a row. They have a big test in Austin next week. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen down there. Crazier things have happened than Kansas winning in Austin, right? That's, that's true. Um, I almost I wish if we had somewhere to, to point back to in recent history that that could right. be done. If only. If only. Um, shout out. Shout out Applebee's. Um yeah, Kansas, Kansas looked good. The offense got back on track after struggling with Nevada a week ago. Um, yeah, really, really impressed with with what the Jayhawks have. I do want to say, too, shout out Kobe Bryant in that game. Um, he did have one interception, and he did also have the fumble recovery touchdown. That was him. So big game for him. Wanted to shout him out real quick. And I believe Kenny Logan Jr. had the interception. They got returned for the touchdown. So Really good job on the defensive side of the ball for the Jayhawks. Not maybe something we've seen necessarily in the past. They didn't play a stifling amount of defense, but they definitely played good situational defense. Sure. Keaton Slovis looked good at times, slinging the rock, but uh, just not enough for BYU. Also, shout out the, uh, what was it, an ESPN graphic? Fox graphic? I forgot what channel they were playing on that showed up. BYU had 19 married men on their team. Um, boy, they love they love showing off the age. It, it just moment. means more or something. I don't know. Just means um, more. That's right. All right, down to the state of Texas, and we've got to start with Texas A and M. Uh, they knock off Auburn twenty-seven to ten. Guys, the score wasn't even doesn't even do that game justice. It, it seems like Auburn stuck around for longer than maybe they did. A scoop and score, a bad fumble, uh, a missed tackle by Jimbo Fisher over on the sidelines <laughs> were the only touchdown that Auburn could could uh, muster here today. But the story for me was twofold. One, Connor Wegman getting hurt in the second quarter and not returning, an an- a left ankle injury. X-rays were negative, but I think he'll get an MRI either tomorrow or Monday to determine the severity of that injury. That would be a devastating blow 
to the Aggies. Uh, Max Johnson, we'll talk about in just a second, came in, did a great job. But the defense stood on its head for the Aggies. They got back to a wrecking crew-style performance today after really having a lot of questions thrown in their face, guys. Auburn only 200 yards total offense, 56 through the air. That was the efforts of three quarterbacks combined today. Uh, Texas A&M, seven sacks, 15 tackles for loss. And and guys, it looked like even though A&M ran an annoying amount of three down fronts on defense, they got pressure into the backfield for the first real time this season. That's how A&M's got to win. Guys, did we see a shot of DJ Durkin on the sideline? Are we sure that it was DJ Durkin calling the defense? I can't be 100% sure. Did Mike Elko take off the UConn game thinking it was too easy of a win? He just flew down to help Jimbo out because that was an uncharacteristic DJ Durkin defense. It was creative. They blitzed from multiple different angles. They ran stunts. They were, you know, Mitch, you talk about getting pressure. It wasn't necessarily – they got there with a three-man front a couple times, but – it was mostly the creative blitzes and bringing extra guys and, you know, overwhelming and obviously overmatched Auburn passing game. So they shut down. They took away what they knew Auburn couldn't do. They forced, they, you know, I wish they would have committed more bodies to stop the run at times. Um, and it looked like they were still leaning into the old, old ways a little bit in that area, especially in the second quarter. But, you know, great win for the Aggies, great defensive effort. You really hope and pray that Connor Wegman is okay, but Max Johnson Looked pretty solid in the backup role. I don't know that he's going to be a guy that can lead AM to 10 wins, but he's going to be a serviceable backup at the very least and, you know, drive the bus pretty well. Yeah, Max Johnson had a great touchdown pass to younger brother Jake Johnson. His um, throw to Evan Stewart was a dime. And, was a and exactly throw, great catch. 37 yard strike, uh, split the double team perfectly, and Evan Stewart hauled in a, a highlight reel touchdown. Yeah, I don't know what the ceiling for the AM offense is uh, with Johnson at quarterback versus Connor Wegman, but I will say the offense for the slow start that they had in the first half, this was a 6 3 ball game at the half, right? And it felt like AM could have been up, honestly, 21 to 3, even more than that. They had penalties, stalled drives, a trip inside the red zone where Bryce Foster, their center, like forgot how to snap on three consecutive plays. Just some mind-numbing mistakes. But in years past, in games past, where we might see the pressure get to the defense when the offense is not getting it done, we see the defense buckle, and then the floodgates open, and suddenly you're down by two scores. Doesn't matter if you're at home, you're on the road. And that's how a has lost ball games over the last couple of years. Garrett, this time, the creative uh, play calling the will to succeed, the will to beat a team that was not as good as you, that came through. And it gives me hope that AM can be a threat in the West. We talked earlier that it seems like it's wide open. Maybe LSU is up there on the pedestal right now. But there's no doubt in my mind that if AM plays like they did today on defense and they can compete on offense, why couldn't they go beat Alabama at home? Why couldn't they go beat LSU on the road? A part of why they couldn't is because there were so many throws that Peyton Thorne just blatantly missed early in that game. That game, really, if we're going to talk about just a competent quarterback or just even a like a guy that you find at the wreck that can complete passes and not overthrow wide open receivers, that kind of guy, 
if we're talking just very simple, basic things, the game really should have been like 14 to nothing or, you know, 21 to nothing Auburn for a little while there, because I mean, goodness gracious, they, they, the, the tight end open that he overthrew by like 20 yards and, and the, the, you know, he had a guy that had beat a corner on a deep post and he had him wide open. He had the guy by the, like three or four steps and he overthrew him by a good five or 10 yards. I mean, just disgusting, disgusting performance from, Peyton Thorne and obviously that's why he got benched and they ended up trying for Robbie Ashford who also couldn't throw anything either but I, I look there's some issues still in the AM secondary that they're gonna have to address Auburn wasn't the team to take advantage of it but next week they go to play an Arkansas team that probably will after the performance we saw tonight from KJ Jefferson against an LSU secondary with some questions to answer so that concerns me at the end of the day, if Connor Wigman is at the helm of this Aggie offense, they have a chance to win. And without him, it's going to be how well can Max Johnson put his playmakers in a position to succeed. If he's going to be able to keep slinging that thing down to Evan Stewart, and if he's going to keep finding guys open and keep you know helping the offense move, and if the offense will commit to still running the ball and keeping things balanced, then things are going to be okay for the Aggies. I still wonder if the ceiling – uh, is not quite high enough with Johnson at the at the quarterback position. I don't think it is personally. Uh, I, I think if you don't have him or if you don't have Connor Wingman playing, the ceiling's probably at the you know with a couple of conference losses and a New Year's Six, which would still be a great season. But with Connor in there, I think that they have a chance to to run the table on the way out because I think that's how good he is. That's fair. That's fair. Max is is maybe not as dynamic as Connor, right? Um, but but today I do... he did show a competency in the offense he didn't have last it, year. He knew where to go with the football. He he made a lot of really good plays. Was willing to kind of put the ball down the field a little bit, and that showed me that he knows more in this second year in the offense. He knows a lot more now than he did back when he kind of had to fill in for Haynes after the first couple of games last year. He negotiated the pocket well uh, in relief. Yeah, the offense The offense definitely had a spark for whatever reason, and uh, A&M gets a big, big win. They'll now go to Dallas next week to take on Arkansas, who's obviously reeling after two, uh, two recent losses. That's going to be a tricky game. Uh, you talk about the Hogs, wounded animal, Neil Brown syndrome. Um, that's a dangerous Hogs team returning the scene of the oink doink uh, uh, on a terrible loss from from last year. Uh, three other games here. Texas will include Oklahoma. Um, one that's actually not on our run sheet. Oklahoma State, Iowa State. Iowa State pulls out the victory by seven. Guys, of course, you knew when I took the under in this game that we would get to that total in the first half because why not? That's the Big 12. <laughs> Uh, Iowa State beats uh, Oklahoma State. The Pokes have absolutely got to be reeling right now. Mitch, uh, I don't know why you would touch an Iowa State game with all the funny business that's been going on up there. Listen, that, that parlay, there's a chance. Uh, I didn't see what the North Carolina final score was, but there's a chance that not a single one of those picks in that parlay actually ended up being right, which is truly, I, I might have to give myself a pat on the back. That's that's remarkable. Staples syndrome right there. That's right. Um, you've got TCU drubbing SMU, 34-17. This game was not as competitive as that final score. Texas blows out Baylor on the road, 38-6. And then uh, we'll, we'll include our friends north of the Red River in this for good fun. Oklahoma just barely squeaks by to cover town, 20-6 over Cincinnati. 
Garrett, is there a game out of that trifecta that stands out to you? Um, I think the Oklahoma game you just mentioned kind of stood out to me because I was looking there questioning, does Oklahoma actually have a real defense? But now I think you have to ask, like, is the offense for real? Because they didn't exactly look fantastic against Cincinnati. I know Cincinnati plays an okay defense, but, you know, I think Oklahoma's defense stood up well. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering if they'll be able to score points against better defenses as they go through the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair ask. You know, Preston Stone had his worst game as an SMU Mustang today. Really rough scene. TCU looked a lot better. It looks like they figured some stuff out, especially in the secondary, um, because they shut down a really potent SMU offense today. And, you know, the last battle of the Iron Skillet for the foreseeable future, TCU gets a lot of bragging rights. I know that hurts a lot of feelings over in Dallas, but, um, you know, brighter days are ahead from SMU for sure. I really thought that SMU was going to be able to stop the run, that Chandler Morris was going to be harassed uh, by a, an improved pony defense. Neither was the case. Bailey runs for a buck 26. Chandler Morris showed up. He throws three touchdown passes. The play calling for SMU was really concerning. It felt like they could run the ball early on. They had an established advantage running the football, and they went away from it. They called some really odd plays. Preston Stone, as you mentioned, Trey, not sharp, throws two picks. Uh, yeah, SMU never really in this game. Um, you know, listen, Baylor's a bad football team. I don't know what else to I don't know what else to say. Texas does what a good football team does. They go on the road, they dominate. Quinn Ewers was very efficient. Um Is Dave Aranda on the hot seat? I was just about to ask, is it time for some difficult conversations in Waco? I'll tell you this. I was talking with a Baylor alum maybe yesterday either yesterday or the day before. And they said in today's college football, when you've got the Deion Sanders of the world who are sharp, who are edgy, who are inspiring, Dave Aranda's not that guy. He He's another case of a great coordinator, an average coach. Because Aranda, from what I keep hearing, just doesn't seem to inspire the troops, right? He's a soft-spoken guy. He's not a great recruiter. Baylor's falling behind right now, not in terms of just national powerhouses, but in terms of the Big 12. The Baylor Bears have gone from winning dramatic Big 12 championships to I don't know how long they're going to be able to compete unless they have those hard conversations. I think as, as a former Dave Aranda truther, I think it might be time to look elsewhere. And that's not a fun. That's not a fun truth to come to. Yeah, it, fantastic coordinator. Looked like he was on the path to a really stellar head coaching career after the first couple of years at Baylor. But man, is he going to look back and just really regret putting all his eggs in the Blake Shapin basket? I think so. I think that's going to where you look back and say, man, that's where it all went wrong, yeah. and it was all kind of downhill from there. Um, let's uh, let's give. Some group of five love here, uh, and Garrett, I'll I'll let you adjust here. We'll we'll scoot on over to let's let's do the American. I do want to give one shout out to just a heartbreak hotel special. Wyoming beats Appalachian State twenty two nineteen. Guys, App State did everything they they should have to win this game, except finish the dang fight. They drive the length of the field. Get ready to set up for a field goal that's going to ice this bad boy away and then have the field goal blocked and returned for a touchdown. And uh, Wyoming wins wins the game. 
Uh, Craig Bowles' squad escapes again. A tremendous job by Wyoming, keeping the score low, playing another physical ball game. Uh, that's about as dramatic as it gets. And uh, Garrett's got the American scoreboard pulled up right now. Trey, uh, you know, listen, some some ugly results for teams like UTSA. Temple gets blown out. That was a Temple team that started 2-1. and one. Charlotte kind of hangs in there against Florida. Is there anything that you take away from the American after after a game day? Uh, Tulane still looks really good. Memphis showed a lot of fight against Missouri. That was a really fun game in the night slate that got overlooked again because there were so many other great games. But yeah, all in all, it seems like the Power Five is really separating itself this year um, from the American, from the other G5 conferences. Uh, Doesn't feel like there's been as many upsets this year. Maybe that's just an anecdotal for me, but um, even ones we pointed to like UTSA, Tennessee, I know, Frank Harris getting injured really threw a wrench in that upset prediction, but uh, just not a close one, 45-14, even in a letdown look-ahead spot for Tennessee. So rough weekend for the Americans, some close games. Tulane still does look like the juggernaut of that conference. If you're looking for a pick to make a run to the New Year's Six, got to be Tulane at this point. With SMU sliding, with UTSA sliding, yeah, I mean, I don't know who else is is the favorite in that conference. Um, a group of five conference where there was interesting action was over in the in the Sun Belt. You have Georgia State's four and zero now. They score yeah. thirty in a win in Conway to knock off Coastal Carolina. You've got the boys from Troy that get it done over Western Kentucky. Every time, I want to believe that the Hilltoppers are going to make a statement. They they have let me down so far. Hey, they at least season. covered this week. They covered the three they, and a half. That's great. I didn't have anything on them. So wish they could have done that last week. Marshall gets a power five upset. I don't know if you can call Virginia tech power five, but you know, classification <laughs> wise, class, classification wise, you can um, Marshall's three and oh, 24, 17 win over there. The, the most hilarious game that uh, <laughs> our friend Dan Keegan was tweeting about, uh, Old Dominion has to come from behind to beat O and well then O and two Texas A&M Commerce. Um, Alliance of Texas A&M Commerce. Listen, they Who just moved up from Division Two. This is their first year in Division One. That's right. Uh, the I think it was uh, I don't remember if it was the bar stool or sidelines. Old Dominion account was just beside themselves when they were trailing. Three games, uh, three to nothing. Dan Keegan said that this game was a barn burner. I replied, "Yeah," in the way that everyone goes to sleep and leaves a candle burning on the coffee table, and then the house is on fire thirty minutes later. Um, this was a disaster of a football game. But hey, Old Dominion gets the win. No picture in a scorecard. They're two and two on the year. Uh, South Alabama drops a really tough loss to Central Michigan. That's another team that we were high on out of the Sun Belt, uh, losing some games that they. They ought not to. They were good enough to beat Oklahoma State. And <laughs> Oklahoma State cannot escape Central Michigan. This is like yep. <laughs> how many times yep. is Central Michigan going to embarrass Oklahoma State? Another transitive property win for Central Michigan. <laughs> Great point. Uh, Trey, your Texas State Bobcats by oh transitive boy. property, um, down 17 nothing at the half. There was a rumor of a band member throwing a trident at a Nevada player. Now, allegedly, that is 
since been debunked, uh, Sicko's committee is leading the charge that this is nothing more than a cover-up and that there is a magical trident down in San Marcos. Uh, but the Texas State Bobcats, they were on the ropes early against 0-3 Nevada. They come storming back to win 35-24. The rally trident. If they're, if they're not 100 tridents in the Texas State student section for the next home game, something is terribly wrong. It was a baritone player, if you're curious. I know there was a little speculation that it was probably a trumpet player, a trombone player, but baritone player, if you had that bad. Important distinction there. Um, shout out Ishmael Mahidi, 216 yards on the ground and 21 carries, two touchdowns for the young That's lad. That's a fun team in San Marcos. I'll try to do that. They are going to make a bowl game this year. Look ahead at their schedule. They've got a couple probable wins. They just need one more out of those toss-up games, and I think they're going to get it. Um, Garrett, take take us where you where you'd like to go next. I mean, we can go to the Big Ten. I know I know the boys in blue, uh, Michigan. They get the job done. They beat Rutgers. There's a viral tweet resurfacing about drowning ferrets uh, that <laughs> Michigan and Rutgers fans have gone back and forth on. I will say, Rutgers plus the twenty four. You're, you're fine. We made it. We, we made it in the green. We scored we scored seven on the first uh, first drive of the game, and the offense checked out after that. But, Garrett, you got to be feeling really good about Michigan. Oh, feeling fantastic about Michigan. And, of course, you know, Teddy Moore feeling pretty good about Michigan as well. Um, look, it's it, – it's, I picked this team to be my, my eventual national champion. I'm not going to back off them yet. Uh, Harbaugh with the return. And, um, you know, it's 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 – it's fine. They're, they're playing pretty well. You know, they, they got kind of punched in the mouth initially. There was a weird sort of slant route that two guys got caught up on, and the covering guy ended up kind of getting picked by the guy that was coming in as the safety, and so there was a weird situation like that. But um, outside of that, defense stands up, plays strong. Michigan just, again, plods their way off to 31 more points, and and it's another Big Ten victory for the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, guys, I – if, I wish I had my breaking news drop right now because this is breaking news to me. Northwestern beat Minnesota tonight did. in overtime, thirty-seven wow. to thirty-four. A walk-off win for. Uh... I missed that until I'm reviewing the scoreboard live, so that's fantastic. Yeah, there we are down here. Well, in just above that, Indiana needed an overtime victory to beat noted powerhouse Akron. So yeah, good some team there in Akron. Some interesting overtime victories. Uh, last thing that I have on, on on my plate here, feel free to add any final thoughts in before we get out of here. Washington's currently up 52-12 to 12 in the third quarter, just started a couple minutes ago over Cal. Roma Dunze, um, just checking in one more time for the haters. Five catches, 125 yards. Jalen Polk has 11 catches. And uh, folks are wondering, guys, does Washington have the best wide receiver room in the country? That was something I pounded the table for. This preseason, I took on multiple hate comments saying I was just trying to be different in a in a preseason prediction list. Um, I'm playing my cards close to the chest. I think eventually some of those trolls will be eviscerated over on Twitter.com. Um, the day is coming, but uh, for for now, just sleep with one eye open. That's that's all I'll say. It's looking like a good call, at least from the beginning of the season. I mean, I know that you're all over Rome and that, all that, but. It, it looks like this might be one of the better receiver rooms. This is a really good team that they're in Washington. They play a really, really explosive style of offense, and I'm excited for that game. Them versus Oregon, I think, is going to be like game of the year potential. Yeah. 
going to be fantastic. Um, I'll throw a couple more finals in here just really quickly. Guys, it's time to pronounce time of death on Texas Tech's championship hopes this year at 20 to 13 loss in Morgantown. Tyler Shutt goes down with yet another injury. Baron Morton comes in and tries his best, but he's just didn't have enough. Uh, maybe, you know, it turns around when he hits a full week of game preparation, but West Virginia knocks off Texas Tech. And uh, South Carolina got a big win tonight at home over Mississippi State over in the SEC. So that was a really fun back and forth game as well. 37 to 30, I believe. Yeah, things really are not looking good at Mississippi State right now. And I feel bad for the whole situation that's unfolding, but they, they've got to find a way to turn it around or else things are going to get ugly in a hurry. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. Um, Zach Arnett and his team, are they're scrambling for some answers down there in, in Stark Vegas. All right, guys. I say we get out of here. Week four, it delivered on the hype. We're we're just thankful to uh, to have tremendous football games week in week out. The the parody, the storylines continue to spread themselves out. And unlike in years past, where it seems like from the jump, Georgia and Alabama is going to win the national championship this year. I have no clue who's going to win. I I don't even know that I feel confident about nailing two of the four playoff picks at the rate we're going. And that is the beauty of this 2023 college football season. We can't wait to bring you more of it. Week five is on deck for Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you were here in the live show, we appreciate it. We'll continue to do this on the recap each week. And if you're listening over on the podcast feed, thanks for tuning in as well until week five. So long everyone. Gracious, yeah. how about that?